Amen. Please remain standing and take the pages of the scripture in your hand. Open to Isaiah 64, verse 8 to 12. Isaiah 64, verse 8 to 12. I will read it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Remember, this is the reading of the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of God. But now, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our Father. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please, look, we are all your people. Your holy seats have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Let's pray. Our Father, we now come to you to speak to us by your word. And as you do that, as your Servant Samuel said long ago, we also say to you, our God, Lord, speak to us. Your servants are listening. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What we have before us tonight is a prayer, a prayer that the prophet Isaiah prayed on behalf of the remnant in Israel. It is a plea of the righteous for mercy. Remember in chapters 63 and 64, we have been looking at Isaiah's prayer for mercy. His prayer began in chapter 63, verse 15. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might, the steering of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. That's where Isaiah began his prayer. His plea for mercy on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people of Israel. When his prayer began, he said to God, your compassion, your mercy is hidden from us. You are holding back your loving kindness from us. Look down from heaven. You held back your compassion from me. 
Remember, he was a prophet. He was representing the remnant in Israel. So he, this is a plea for mercy. And tonight the prophet concludes his plea for God's mercy upon Israel, especially the righteous in Israel. Notice verses 6 and 7. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Beloved, these words are words of acknowledgement of sin. Isaiah was being honest in the presence of God when he was representing the people of Israel. He was so honest. This is a genuine repentance. And he was saying to God, myself and my people were not righteous. There is no righteousness in Israel. We have seen it against you. Our own righteousness is like a polluted garment. We are not worthy to be called God's children. We have sinned against you. Let me ask you this tonight, beloved. Is this how you repent? Is this how you bring yourself and the nation America? the remnant in this land? Is this how you pray on behalf of the church? Plea for mercy. Isaiah was saying, we are being left to our own sin. And we're going to be destroyed by our own iniquities. Even if you destroy us, you will be righteous. It will be the consequence of our iniquities. An honest and genuine confession of sin, contrition, if you will. Now in verses 8 to 12, the prophet, the prophet is pleading with God to relent. In a sense, you see, he was confessing, but at the same time, he was asking God on behalf of the remnant in Israel for God to relent, to become merciful toward the people, to relent of his discipline and restore Israel to himself. But what is so striking and remarkable in Isaiah's plea for mercy in verse 8 to 12, especially verse 8, is how Isaiah describes the relationship between God and his people. There are two images, two descriptions that Isaiah uses for God. Remember, he's repenting and he's pleading for mercy. But the two images, the two descriptions that he uses for God, one is Father. Notice verse 8. 
But now, oh Lord, you are our father. So God is being described here as the father of his people, as the father of his children. And then secondly, we are the clay and you are our potter, our maker. So one father and then the other one is potter. Our maker, we're the clay, but you are the one who made us like a potter, like a clay in the hand of a potter. That's how we are. And tonight I want us to consider from Isaiah's prayer, plea for mercy, I want us to consider God as the father, God as the potter, And lessons that we learn from this as God's children, even here at Redeemer. God as the Father. But now, now as I pray to you, now as I confess all our sins, my own sin and the sin of the remnant in Israel, now, right now, oh Lord, you are our Father. See what Isaiah is doing? Yes, we have sinned against you. Yes, we are guilt. We are guilt sinners. We should bear a responsibility for our sin. Yes, Lord, we are sinners. But you are also our Father. You see the confidence. You see how Isaiah was relating the people of God with God. God as the father of his children. Although we have offended you by our rebellion against you and your word, but we are still, we still belong to you. You are our father. Now the first thing I want you all to understand here is When Isaiah uses the word father for God, he doesn't use it the way our our modern culture uses the term father. You need to understand that. You need to ask yourself tonight, why is Isaiah resembling God with fathers or with father? Why is he doing that? Why not mother? Why not father and mother? Why father specifically? Why? In relation to their confession, in relation to God's mercy, the restoration of Israel. Why God as father? Today we have a definition of a father colored the culture, yes? Politically correct definition, the male parent. They say, who loves the child whom uh, the child rely upon and who is a good caregiver, a good protector, provider for the child. Now, you need to know this. All these things are true about him and father. And both the father and the mother are involved in providing these provisions to their children. Isaiah is not undermining the role of the mother in the family. He's making a point here. He's not minimizing the role of the wife or the mother toward the life of her children. 
Both the father and the mother are involved for the good of their children. We're not denying that. Isaiah is not denying that. But in today's culture, the description is generic. It is general. All you have to do is change the first line of it into the female parent. Just to reverse the creation order. That's what the culture is doing today. Yes, God's design for fathers clearly includes all the things mentioned earlier. Loving your children, providing to your children, protecting your children. But it also includes, beloved, at least two more things that the culture doesn't recognize today. The first one is the father is the authority in the home. Under God, with the help of his wife, the father is the authority in the home. God's design for the father is that he functions as the ultimate authority in the home. Of course, both parents are involved. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the role and the responsibility of leading the family, making good and biblical and godly decisions for the family belongs to the father, you see. He's the authority in the home. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 and 4. Timothy 3, 2 and 4. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now listen to this. He must manage your, your own, his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. You see, Paul here is not talking only about pastors and elders, you know, overseers, bishops in the church. He's actually talking about fathers in homes and marriages. Because he's making a reference, if this man doesn't manage his household well, he's not qualified to manage the house of God, the church. If his children are not submissive to him, if he doesn't bring his children to submission with God's help through the teaching of the scripture, through admonition of God's word, He's not the kind of father that God desires to have in homes and marriages. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, authority to teach. 
How does a father manage his house well? Through the teaching of the scripture. Through the teaching of the word of God. Proverbs 13, 24. Who, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Which means to whip him. If you love your children, if you love your child, you discipline them. They might not understand it today or now, but tomorrow they will be thankful to you for that discipline. They will tell you, I never understood you, Dad. I never understood you, Mom. But now I understand. You did that because you loved me. God as the Father. Secondly, He's the protector and the provider. Again, both parents are involved in this. You see, Isaiah is not saying, you know, the mother doesn't protect her children. Isaiah is not saying the mother doesn't provide. But he's saying, at the end of the day, you see, fathers are responsible to protect their wife and their children, to provide to them. God's design for the human father is to protect and provide to his family. Jeremiah 31, 20, 29. In those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That's protection. That's protection. God will intervene, protect his children. Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Father. You see now, you see now the, the resemblance. Why is Isaiah resembling God as a human father? In Deuteronomy 131, this is beautiful. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Beloved, the reason the nation is failing apart today, the, nation, the, the reason marriages are falling apart today, is because fathers have abandoned their role. Here Isaiah is claiming God's, God, God's care as a father, protecting his children, providing to his children, but also teaching and leading his children. Now here is the mystery. What Isaiah is saying here is, we haven't treated you, God, as our Father with authority. To teach us, to correct us. We didn't view you as our Father. As children would view their Father in a Christian home, we didn't, we didn't uh, 
honor you and respect you and, and, and submit to you as our father, as children would do to their fathers. We failed in that responsibility. We haven't treated you as our father. That is the connection here. It's not only about protection. It's not only about provision. It's also about submission. You know, to see God as your father, to listen to him, to obey him. That's what Isaiah is saying here. That's why God is our father. And we are his children. But the relationship, you see, calls to a responsibility. What does the children do toward their fathers? They listen. They obey. They submit. And Isaiah is saying, we haven't done that. But now, we are pleading for mercy. Because you are our father. Have mercy on us. Beloved, God is our Father. You see, you and I, as God's children, we have failed in our responsibility as children in many ways. Individually, as a church, we have failed God. Isaiah is teaching us tonight to be honest with God, to, to have this genuine repentance in our hearts even before we partake the Lord's Supper tonight. To come to God as our Father. Not only seeking His blessing, protection, provision, but also to submit to Him. To obey Him. The second image is God as a father. Verse 8. But now, Lord, you are our father. Now we know what this means. We are the clay and you are our father. We are all the work of your hand. Now you all know. When, when a clay is in the hand of a father, the clay is in, a, in, a, in an, an absolute and complete submission to the father. If you are a potter and you have the clay in your hand, you can do whatever you want to do with the clay. You can put it here, you can put it here, you can put it here. The clay is not going to resist because it's a clay. And Isaiah is saying, we are like that clay. You are the potter and we are the clay. We should be silent. We should submit to you. We should obey you as the clay would obey the potter. You and I today, we live in a time where, you know, people are considering themselves as God. The New Age movement makes man God. Today's culture tells you, you are sovereign over your own life. If you are pregnant, you can kill the baby. It's your body. It's your right. You are the decision-making person. Not God. Not the law of God. That's where we are today. 
You see, today people are not acting as if they are clay. They are acting as if they are the potter. That's the problem. That's where we are. If you take this verse, verse 8, to the, to the culture today, they will laugh at you. And they will say to you, I'm not a clay. I'm not a clay. I'm the potter. But Isaiah said, no, 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 we are the clay. Jeremiah 18, 6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. That's how I see you. That's how it should be. You are the clay, and I'm the potter. Wouldn't you agree with me tonight? For you and I, just to say, Lord, be the potter, and we'll be the clay. It's good for us. It's good for us to be the clay. Because you are you're sovereign, you're good, you're righteous. You know, as a potter, you will be in the hand of this loving and caring, perfect, holy, righteous father and judge. And as a clay, nothing wrong will happen to you. You are in his hand. This is what we neglect often as Christians. To grasp that, to understand, he's my father, he's my potter. I am in his hand. Let me be a clay. Let me be, let me be a clay. And I'll benefit all divine blessings from the potter as a clay. Notice verse 9. But not terribly angry, O Lord. Not so terribly angry, O Lord. And remember, not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. We are God's people. We are God's children. Now, when you read, um, you know, what Isaiah says here, uh, be not so terribly angry, O Lord. You see, Isaiah is not saying to God, uh, Lord, it's okay to be angry, but, but be careful. Um, don't, uh, don't sin in your anger. Your, your, your anger has a limit. That's not what Isaiah is saying. Do you see what Isaiah is saying? What Isaiah is saying is, Lord, don't come upon your people with, your, with the full measure of your anger as if you are punishing wicked sinners with no repentance. We are your children. We don't want to experience the full measure of your anger. Because we are your people. We, we, belong, we belong to you. You see, Isaiah here is saying, we are recognizing our guilt and sin against you. We want to obey you as our father, as our father. So forgive us. 
Now we want to hear the words of Isaiah 44:22. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Let me read it for you, beloved. Isaiah 44, uh, 22. Isaiah 44:22. I have plotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Isaiah is saying, this is what I want to hear. This is what your people want to hear. Forgiveness. They want to hear Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. What does these verses tell you, beloved? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is what a father does. He forgives. He pardons. And Isaiah is saying, Lord, this is what we want to hear from you. Because you are our father and you are our father. Two lessons, beloved, tonight. First, knowing and worshiping and serving God as your father spares you from getting into trouble. If you recognize God as your father, if you worship him as your father, if you trust him as your father, you're not going to look for other protectors, providers. You know, it's okay to have, uh, you know, medical providers, but they're not God. We pay them. They take our money to send us to clinics for treatment. We don't pay God. He provides, and he provides perfectly. He doesn't take any money from us, gold or silver. He loves us. We are his children. This is what the people of Israel, the remnant in Israel, forgot that he is their father. So they went after Egypt and then Assyria for help. Secondly, living your Christian life as a clay in the hand of the potter enables you to love, to live your life doing God's will. I would like to point us to a perfect example tonight. Perfect example, our Savior Jesus Christ. This happened in heaven before the foundation of the world. Before we even were born. The eternal plan, eternal decree of God. The father said to his son, son, I want you to go down to the earth and die for my people. And you will die on the cross. They will accuse you. 
they will sentence you. They will beat you. They will crucify you on a tree. I want you to go down to the earth and do this. And do you know how the son responded? We have the response in Hebrews 10. 4 to 7. Behold, I have come to do your will, O Lord. I have come to do your will, O Lord. To take the place of your people and die for them on the cross. To make my food your will. Your will is my food. The only thing that satisfies me as a redeemer, as a savior, is doing your will, submitting to you, even by dying on the cross. Even Jesus submitted to the will of his father. Not because of his sin, but because of our sin. Every time he was doing his earthly ministry, he was telling people, his own disciples and other people, I'm here to do the will of my Father in heaven. Our relationship, I am his son, he's my father. I obey him, I submit to him. I'm the mediator between God and man, the son of man, the son of God, doing the will of of my father. And tonight I want to encourage all of us with the love of Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let us know our God as our father and as our father. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, O oh Lord, tonight help us to know you, to recognize you, to have you in our life as our Father and as our, as our Father. Like a clay, we are in your hand, the Father. Oh Lord, help us to have the realization of all these things in our Christian life. We rejoice because you are our Father. We rejoice because you are our Maker. And as that clay, help us to be in a complete submission to you tonight. Even telling others about this that you are both our father and our father. Praise be to you, our father, for who you are, for each and every one of us, individually but also collectively as your church. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.